Greetings on behalf of my wife, Jenny. We've been married. This is our 14th year. And uh, people look at me and go, how has he been married 14 years, you know? Then you get close to me, you see my gray hair, you're like, oh, okay. And uh, 14 years, we've got four children, two little girls, Nina, who's eight, going on 18, Ellie, who is seven years old, and then we have two little boys, Gabriel, his name is, we call him Bubba, he's four years old, and then we have Leo, who is 21 months old. So greetings on behalf of our family and the... 26 people that live in our home right now. Someone in here has thought, oh yeah, I thought he was Latino. You know, uh, <laughs> house, you know. <laughs> it's okay, I can say it because I am Latino, you know, and so my mom's side's Mexican, my dad's side's Filipino, so I like, I've always thought of myself as a jalapeno. And uh, that's me. <laughs> He's got jokes. Pastor's got jokes. And uh, no, we acquired three and a half years ago an old 10,000 square foot mansion in the heart of the stadium district of Tacoma, Washington, where we live. And since that time, we've had dozens and dozens of young adults who, who've given uh, seasons of their lives to discipleship training to come and live with us. My family moved into this place. You know, I just wanted to get the house and put young people in there and hire a staff member to do it. And then my wife got a prophetic word that we were supposed to go in. And then about, it took me about three days to convince her that word was not from the Lord. <laughs> and then it took God about three weeks for Him to chastise me and convince me otherwise. And I can honestly say that the last three and a half months have been the most joy-filled uh, months of our, our years of, of our life as a family. Our kids have several dozen young adults that they're always around, aunties and uncles that they're always playing with and getting to know and chatting with and praying with. Young people are modeling hunger after Jesus and his kingdom in their home. Man, I'm the most wealthy man on the planet. And so we have been privileged to lead um, Catalyst Training School, as was mentioned. In the last eight years, we have seen hundreds of young adults from different parts of this nation and a few other nations of the world join us for seasons of intense training and discipleship, as well as we've been able to send uh, over 50 international mission teams into the world. We have seen the gospel set uh, villages on fire. We've seen blind eyes open, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, and the gospel given to the poor. Jesus is on the move in the world. Um, just this last week, we had a team who returned from Berlin, Germany. A team that was commissioned, the Catalyst team that was commissioned to reach out and uh, with other ministries to minister in refugee camps among Syrian, Iranian, Afghani refugees. And they were there doing a few things, doing some grassroots evangelism, as well as putting on a freedom conference for recent converts to Jesus, Muslim background uh, believers in Jesus. And how many of you know God is on the move in Muslim communities? And uh, one of the great testimonies that came back was uh, we had some young people that were praying, uh, ministering, original design, freedom prayer to uh, these, these people at this conference. And this young man comes forward. He's probably in his early 20s. They laid hands on him. And then afterwards, he went around the room, started laying hands on everyone. People getting knocked out in the spirit, you know. And they've never seen this. It's not like they belong to a charismatic church and they know the drill. You know, like, 
when you put, touch the forehead, then you go down. You know, they, there's like, and then you throw the purple blank on them, blanket on them. You know, they don't know the drills. And so it's just the power of God breaking out. But then they find out later what happened is this, this uh, Muslim background man comes and shares through the interpreter what happened. He says, when you prayed for me, remember, he had just come to the Lord weeks before. When you prayed for me, I went out of my body. This is what he says. I went out of my body. I got pulled out of my body and I went through the roof and into the sky. And I saw this whole thing from an aerial perspective. I went up into this city, he says. And it was filled with light. And there was a golden gate all around this city with gems all over it. And it was a massive gate that was closed. He said, but then a man dressed in white came and stood in front of the gate and called for it to be open. And he pointed at me and he says, you are welcome. <laughs> Come on, that's, that is good news, yeah? Holy smokes. All right, church is done. We can go home, you know. Holy smokes. Jesus is on the move. The gospel is not changed. Even as there's shakings increasing in the nations of the earth, God says, once more I will shake all the nations till they come to the desire of all nations. That God, even in the midst of shaking and even in the midst of global crisis, is orchestrating all things for the glory and the inheritance of His beloved Son. Come on, this is a good day. God is on the throne. It's a good. You may have a bad week, but it's a good day. Jesus is alive. Death is defeated. His Jesus' foot is on the serpent's head. Come on. Ah. We have a team that's returning from El Salvador right now on the way home. I can't wait to hear the testimonies, you know. And uh, God is on the move. We've been able to send uh, 50 plus international teams into the world. And, and then we've been able to see thousands trained around the world through our equipping seminars and freedom in Christ hearing God and prophecy training as well as power evangelism training, our gospel encounters training. We're so thankful that God is on the move. Uh, I'm so thankful for the gospel. That The Bible says this, I'm, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for anyone that believes. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. I'm so thankful for the gospel because here I am in my mid-30s, but God took, when I was 14 years old, a young man who was bound in anger and shame because of the abandonment of my father who left my family when I was three. Grew up in a single family, a single mother family with three sisters. You know, the dog, the cat, and the bird, all female. You know, I mean, I needed some healing, right? Grew up in poverty, grew up in a crime-saturated 10-block radius of Salinas, California, where there was more homicides per capita than anywhere else in the United States. How many of you know, whenever a father rejects his post or a mother rejects their post, the enemy rushes in like a flood? Uh, sexual um, molestation and abuse entered my life. I mean, shame uh, heaped upon the generational bondages that were already in place. But God. Holy smokes. You know that my kids today are the first kids in three generations where mom and dad will be in the home and love each other all the days of their life. My kids are the first generation in three generations where there will be no divorce, no poverty, no witchcraft in the home, no addiction or substance abuse in the home. First generation in three generations. 
I'll tell you what. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. The serpent may have bruised his heel, but he got his head crushed. I'm loving my little girls, and we're making the evil one pay. Come on, it's a good day. Holy smokes. The gospel is so good. God is good. He's better than you think, you know? <laughs> Come on. Oh, my goodness. I feel like one of my assignments, one of my callings is to preach the gospel to the church. And I love preaching the gospel to the lost, but I feel like one of my assignments is to preach the gospel to the found, to remind them of who they are in Christ. How many of you know that in our internal wiring in the flesh, we have a tendency to, to sway from the goodness of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And whenever we sway from the gospel, we could have the best tools, but the freedom class, apart from the gospel, becomes just a, a, a set of principles to help a Pharisee tack on more religious bondage. Because all the power is wrapped up in the gospel. The four R's are nothing without the gospel. You understand this? So I feel like one of my assignments is to preach the gospel to the found and to remind them of who we are, remind them of the greatness of the one on the throne who's won the great victory. And God forbid the day that in, in the name of spiritual warfare fervor that we ever get more impressed by the works of Satan than we are more impressed by the greatness of God. That we never become intimidated by the evil one. But we always live with this worshiping posture of our eyes open to the man of glory, the one on the throne. Oh God, do it here. Do it in us today. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of what you've done. Remind us of what we have in you. Do it here. Let's open our Bibles. We're going to show a passage on the screen here from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to tell a few stories, kind of just so you can get to know my heart and we can share a moment in the Lord together and we can go home and see what God has. In Ephesians chapter 1, I love this prayer. My friend Corey Russell from International House of Prayer, Kansas City, he says, this is the beloved, the most important prayer of the Bible, you know. I don't know if it's the most important prayer of the Bible, but I think it's pretty legit, you know. Ephesians chapter 1, um, Paul is about to pray for the church of Ephesus, this church that has arguably experienced the greatest revival in the New Testament. This church through which all of Asia heard the gospel. Come on. This church through which revival was set off in, in Ephesus in such a way that all the witchcraft was brought to the inner courts of the city and set on fire. Come on, Harry Potter couldn't stand a chance on that day. All the witch burned up. The silversmiths and the blacksmiths who made idols went out of business and a riot broke out. And it wasn't a riot against police brutality. It was a riot against the, the eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh. And unusual miracles were conducted as Paul's handkerchiefs, come on, snot rags, were anointed with the power of God and laid on the sick and they were healed. Come on, that's some anointed boogers right there, right? Wow. Unusual miracles. Paul's praying for this church that has experienced revival. And he's praying, I'm going to give you the secret right now, he's praying that they would have a revelation of the Gospel. Isn't it fascinating that such, such a varsity level church in the ways of God in revival and renewal, the God, that God's inspired and authoritative prayer for them would simply be that they would be reminded of the power of the gospel. How much more for you and I? 
We think of the gospel as being the entryway into the kingdom, but it's, it's, it's the entryway, it's the foyer, it's the hallway, it's the living room, it's the place we live and move and have our being. Were we to move from the goodness of God found in the gospel, we return to our slave identity and we forsake our identity as sons. A son lives from a place of love. A slave lives to earn a place of love. A son lives enjoying the father's pleasure. A slave lives performing to acquire the father's pleasure. And in the church today, the gospel is going forth in power to awaken a bride to her sonship, her status as sons, ones who've been marked uh, with favor and inheritance, that we would always live from that place. That we'd, that we'd forsake our ways as pauper and step into the realm of princes. This is the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 17, the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That, that it would look like this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you would know what is the hope to which He's called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Oh, Father, open our eyes to the power of the gospel. Amen. Years ago, our first outreach team into the nation of Cambodia, to which we have frequented over the years, was sent. And we were there working with an apostolic church planning network indigenous churches, Cambodian people who wanted to see church planted in every province of the nation. We have helped them fulfill that task. And now there's hundreds of churches from this one network all over the nation in every, and, and in every province. And uh, I, I'll never forget one of our teams was along the Vietnam border and they were proclaiming the gospel in a village that had no church presence. People who'd never heard the name of Jesus. You know how fun that is? And our team, a bunch of young people, 18, 19, 20-somethings, they're in there preaching the gospel. And of course, much of the village comes and they're hanging out under the house, which was the, the, the hut, which is built on stilts. But when the floods come, you know, all the homes are built on stilts. And they came to see the white people, you know. Um, and, and so the whole village, much of the village gathers and and our young people preach the gospel and they give an invitation. No one responds to the gospel. But they stay at it and they do as they're trained and they begin to say, if you're here and you have a physical ailment in your body or you have evil spirit voices in your mind, you need to be set free. Jesus wants to set you free. We want to invite you forward. So no one comes forward to say yes to Jesus because it's a Muslim animistic spiritual, uh, spiritualistic uh, uh, community. But when they say, if you have evil voices in your mind, then, you know, everyone's kind of coming forward. And, you know, they don't, they don't medicate it or diagnose it otherwise. And so they believe in this kind of stuff. They come forward. And now our teams are praying for people. They pray for about 20 minutes. No one gets healed. So no one gets saved. No one gets healed. That's not a fun time on outreach, you know. And then all of a sudden, an, an older man is brought in by the hand. 
He's brought in by the hand because he's blind. And they bring him to the front of the, the, the area and they sit him down and they ask for prayer for him. Well, how many of you know when you can't heal a headache, you don't want to pray for a blind guy? <laughs> you, you just don't. You don't have the faith within you. But you, the great thing about young people is when you train young people, they haven't lived long enough to fail. And so as a result, their inexperience hasn't produced defeat, hopelessness, and unbelief. They're far more childlike in some ways, right? And so they're able to access things of the kingdom very quickly because they don't have to shed years of disappointment. And so these young people, we're talking about young people on this team that had young life background. Anyone familiar with young life? Okay, they played lots of games. You know, lots of games, a little bit of gospel, and a whole lot of singing, you know. And, and these and these people that came in, got equipped. I love Young Life, you know. I'm fruit of Young Life ministry. And here they are, young people from Arizona State University. They're laying hands on this man. And uh, as they begin to pray for him, they roll the sleeves, begin to pray. And after a time of prayer, no no goosebumps, no, nothing, you know. Um, the man says, I, I, I can see light. I see light. He hadn't seen in six years. Hadn't worked in six years. Because it was seven years because he was going blind. And then now he's completely blind. So young people get excited. They said, all right. And they shared a story with him from the Gospels of the, about the man that Jesus prayed for. And he was healed partially. And he kind of saw a little bit. And, and then they, Jesus prayed again. And then he was completely healed. They shared the story from the Gospel. They said, sir, we believe Jesus wants to heal you 100%. Would you pray with us to the Lord Jesus? The man says, I don't believe in Jesus. I only believe in Buddha. Which he was lying because he believed in Buddha and all kinds of other false gods. He says, I only believe in Buddha. He says, but if Jesus heals me 100%, I will only believe in Jesus. Will you tell that to a crazy 19-year-old kid? They're like, all right then, it's on. It's like, uh, this is Elijah, Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal showdown. <laughs> And so these young life kids are like, oh, let's pray and pray. All of a sudden, spiritual fervor increases. They don't even speak in tongues. They're just making stuff up. You know, they're like, they're just gets intensified. It gets intensified. And then minutes later, they remove their hands. All the cataracts over his eyes is gone. And he looks at his wife. Perfect vision for the first time in six years. He looks at his kids. And he goes, I didn't recognize you because... You've changed, but I recognize your voice. The team's like, yeah, you know. And then all of a sudden, miracles started breaking out all over the hut. And um, before I tell the rest of the story, I'll tell you what happened. Then the man says, uh, I want to share what happened. He shares through the translator. He says, as the white people were praying for me, um, he said, I saw a vision in my mind. He says, there was a man who was dressed in all white. And this man walked into the village and he walked to the front of the area where I was sitting and he knelt down in front of me. He said, he said the man dressed in white blew on my eyes. He said, when he blew on my eyes, I could see it. And the team says, Sir, let us tell you who this man dressed in white is. See, that day, he and his whole family and much of the village gave their lives to Jesus Christ right then and there. Come on. 
I walked, a year later, I walked into the same village. I walked into his hut and I sat down with him. He says, thank you for sending me tea. He says, when they prayed for me, the man dressed in white blew on my eyes and I could see. He says, even if I go blind again before I die, I will never stop loving Jesus. Today, he's a leader in that church and he helped us execute an outreach in the neighboring village that year. I, I love that story because it's much like Ephesians 1 where we need the man dressed in white to walk into our midst, to blow on our eyes. Oh God, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Open our eyes to see the power of the gospel. What does Paul say? That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened so that you would know a couple things. One of which is this, the glorious inheritance that God has in the saints. We, it's easy for us to think about our inheritance in God. But the goodness of the gospel means this, that your darkness gets reinterpreted through grace and now God looks at you and goes, I want that. I put a value on that. I put a price tag on your head. You know, the gospel places a price tag on humanity and it's, friend, you're not, you're not one dollar or a million dollars. But you're, you were worth the precious blood of God's great Son the very centerpiece of heaven, the very wealth of the glory, of the majesty of God. See, Jesus wanted the good news to get out so critically, and God wants the good news to get out so critically that, that the Bible tells the story a thousand different ways. He says, we'll talk the language of fathers and sons, but then there's a whole lot of fatherless sons who say, I don't get that. I can't connect with that. The Lord says, okay, I'm going to speak to you then differently. And then the Lord says, the kingdom of God is like a man who went out into a field, an adventurer, and he found a great treasure hidden in a field. And all of a sudden, these fatherless sons who don't know anything about fathers, but they know something about cool exploits, they go, treasure. And he says, once this man found the treasure, he hid it up. And then he went and he sold everything that he had in order to purchase that field so that he could have that great treasure. The daughter in the room says, I don't connect with adventuring. I don't connect with fields, treasures, all that stuff and digging holes. That's not my thing, you know. And the father says to you, I'll say it another way. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant of fine pearls. And all the ladies say, okay. And he says, there was a man, a merchant of fine pearls, who found a, a pearl of such great value that he turned around, sold everything. And all the business investors in the room go, yeah, that's not a good idea. The Lord's like, you're right, but I'm, I'm going to show you what's in my heart. He sells everything in, a, in order to acquire that one pearl. Oh, the beauty of the gospel. A story that can be rehashed a thousand different ways that points to the everlasting desire in the Father's heart to win sons and daughters back to Himself. The goodness of God. My daughter came to me this last no, uh, what was it? Last fall. She said, we were in the truck driving away from soccer. She said, Dad, she's like, okay, she's eight years old. She said, Dad, um, so do you have a presidential power? 
the Golden Bell. I'm like, yes. I'm like, where did you learn about that? You know, like, I'll send you to private school. You know, like, and she says, well, my teacher told me about it. And I want, can I see yours? I want to read it. Who are you voting for? I'm like, honey, that's very controversial. You know, <laughs> and we went into a dialogue. And then eventually she asked me, she said, daddy, as she's sitting in my lap looking at my voting ballot, she says, dad, she says, um, I have a question. I'm like, okay, what is it? She says, why is it that women used to not be able to vote in our country? And I, all of a sudden, I hear a question that I heard the father say, you better get this one right. Some people say, God doesn't talk like that. Hey, I know the voice of God. It's like, he says, son, one of my daughters is asking a very vital question. So, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in this moment. And I said, well, honey, I'm taking a deep breath. I'm like, well, that's a great question. You know, back, back um, in our nation years ago, but really in every nation around the world, we used to think some very horrible things about women. You see, we used to think that they were not smart enough to be able to vote. I didn't think that, Daddy. Well, we, we thought they weren't smart enough to vote because we didn't let them get an education. We didn't let them go to school. My daughter loves school. I said, no, honey. She goes, well, that's horrible because women are really smart. I'm like, that's right, baby. Hashtag girl power, you know. Don't you forget it. And she goes, but daddy, but why did we believe those things? And one of the great things about the gospel is it interprets even the question of an eight-year-old and provides an eternal answer that sets everything else in place. I said, well, man, that's a good question. I said, do you remember what happened in the garden? She said, yeah. We ate the fruit and we were separated from God. I said, that's right. I said, but who tempted us? She said, well, the serpent. I said, and who did the serpent come to first? And she said, the woman. I said, yeah. All throughout the ages, from the very beginning, the agenda of the serpent and Satan and his kingdom has been to work against the daughter's heart. You know why? Because he knows that she is made to be the glory of humanity. And he knows that she is made to display God's great beauty and glory and power. He knows that, of course, she of course she is filled with glory and she's able to nurture and operate in the home like your mother does, honey. But women are able to learn and grow and lead and operate in every sphere that God calls them to. And as I begin to share this with her, I, I saw the heart of a daughter begin to perk up under the gospel. You know what the gospel does for training and discipleship? Is it's a game changer. Without the gospel, we're just teaching people to behave well. Morality is not the same thing as living in the kingdom. You can have a lot of good, good morals, conservative values that are on the road to hell. Jesus tried to blow up that mess when he was like, hey, You've heard it said, you know, should commit murder. He's like, let's raise the bar. It's really about anger. He says, you've heard it said about adultery. Let's raise the bar. It's really about lust. So you have a lot of people who have never committed adultery or murder, big ticket. They've got good morals, but they're on the road to hell. So the kingdom of heaven is about receiving Christ's righteousness. So I, back to my conversation with Nina, said, sweetheart. I said, you know the good news of the gospel is this, is that today the Bible says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, 
male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. I said the gospel, honey, raises women back up to their proper glory in creation. My daughter gets tears in her eyes. I said, honey, this is why daddy is so fierce about raising you in God's love, truth, and power. Because I want you and your sister Ellie to raise up, know, raise you up knowing who you are, how valuable you are to God, so that you can with God crush the head of the serpent. She said, thank you, Daddy. She hugged me. I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I got it right. Yeah, it was like months before. She's like, so was your mom married to your dad? I said, no. She said, well, how did they make babies if they weren't married? I was like, let's change the subject, you know. But I got this question right. <laughs> Was real talk parenting, right? Real talk parenting. One of the reasons we need to preach the gospel to the church is the gospel has an answer to the, the deepest questions of humanity. And, and if we fail to, to use our pulpits to preach the eternal gospel, we're multiplying believers who are messengers of morality, messengers of behavior, messengers of politics. Messengers, things that matter, but only these things matter in light of the substance, which is Christ. Oh, that God would awaken the church to the beauty and the power of the gospel. That she'd be set on fire again with the flames of evangelism. That we'd refuse to believe that there's no community or people group or campus or office building or family or home that is too closed to the eternal gospel, which cannot be changed. If today that in the Muslim world, even in closed nations where the gospel is not welcome, one million converts from Islam to Christ is occurring every year. Friends, we have no right to believe that any family is too hard, any school is too rough, any office building is too close to the unchained gospel. Man, what a good Sunday, huh? Paul says this in Corinthians chapter 5. He says, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you thought about that not Jesus didn't simply just kind of carry the weight of sin, but he became he became an offense to the Father. I'm talking about the atrocities of Hitler and Pol Pot and Mao and Stalin and you and me were injected into the very innocence of Christ. I'm talking about a pain and a guilt. And a darkness that overshadowed him that far outweighed the pain in his hands and his feet. That feeling of shame entered innocence. That feeling of darkness entered light. That feeling of disgust entered a heart that only knew the Father's good pleasure. 
He became sin who knew no sin so that through Him we might now become the righteousness of God. Oh, then we come to Christ in our garments, though stained and soiled and tattered and unable to cover sufficiently our iniquity, are removed. And we are the prodigal son over whom the father rejoices and says, oh, put a ring on his finger, put a cloak on his back, kill the fattened calf, for my son was dead and now he's alive. My son was lost, but now he's found. Oh, that we would have a bride and a church, a people on planet earth who would live under that echo of the father. He's lost and he's found. She's dead, but now she's alive. She's wearing a ring. Let's celebrate that we'd live from the eternal joy that proceeds from the Father's heart over you and me. As the psalmist said, God, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. At your what hand? Your right hand. That same hand in which Paul says, and he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. Where at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. The same place where there's pleasures forevermore. I think one of the reasons we're not seeing the movement of the gospel in our communities because because Christians are not living and they're the declaration of the gospel in their own life. Personal revival begets regional revival. If my people who are called by my name will first humble themselves, pray, confess their sin, repent of their sin, personal revival. What did God say? Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will fear the land. Regional revival. Oh, friends, let it happen here. Come on, let's stand together this morning. I want to invite our team forward. Yes, the worship team. I love you guys. You're fine. Yeah, I feel that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God, when we rebelled against you, we went our own way, we collectively did not pursue you. You stepped out of eternity into time to reveal something of your heart and to draw us into you. Father, thank you that we live in an hour of human history in which the gates are open. And the man dressed in white says, You are welcome. I remind you, River of Life Church, this morning, that there is one dressed in white who stands before you, who's breathing on your eyes. Oh, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus would be imparted to you today, that you would see the riches of God's great inheritance in you. And that you would know the power that's available to you as one who believes. Oh, may God anoint you today with a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. May your eyes be open today. Oh God, anoint your church today. Anoint your sons and daughters today. Lord, let us live with eyes on you. Let us live with an internal 
awe and wonder, passion for Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, do it in us today. Do it in us today. Do it in us today. And now as we're here in prayer, if there are those in this room who need to know that they know that they know that they belong forever to Jesus, that they've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness and of Satan to the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God's great beloved Son. There are those in this room today who need to know that they belong to Jesus and that His righteousness is now given to you. You need to know this. You need to know that Jesus is not no longer dead but He's alive. He rose from the grave and now by virtue of His resurrection, His ascension into heaven, He offers forgiveness and eternal life to all those who repent of their sin and believe on Him. And this morning, if you're here and you just want to say yes to Jesus, you want to align with His kingdom, you want to align with His leadership and His ways, you want to align, you want to receive His righteousness, you need that exchange of you for Him, Him for you. That unfair but glorious exchange, if that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air right now. I'll pray for you. Amen. Amen. I see hands. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Hallelujah. Anyone else? Just put your hand up in the air. Awesome. 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 Church, let's pray a prayer all together, out loud. Together. Father, in Jesus' name. We believe in your death and your resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus. His life for ours. We believe that his blood was shed. And the price has been paid. That our guilt has been removed. We receive Jesus. His righteousness. His right standing with God. We say yes, Lord. Mark me forever. As a son, as a daughter. me afresh with your love. Release your Holy Spirit in my life. Come Holy Spirit. highlighting some women in the room who've lived under a cloak of heaviness you don't know why and you've repented of everything you can think of and you've searched out grief and you've done all you've done all the dance but the heaviness is still there in Jesus name may that heaviness be lifted today
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. There's a woman here who needs to step into that identity of joy. Just put your hand up in here if that's you. The serpents come after you, but the Father says, Oh, no. I've destined you for my glory. I've destined you for my joy. I've destined you. Oh, for those hands raised right now, I declare God's kindness and goodness over you, my sister, my friend. I declare over you that the season of sorrow must be closed in Jesus' name. I declare over you that even though there's been grief and there's been loss and there's been a a lack of understanding at the ways of the leadership of God in your life, that you are able to trust the Good Shepherd. I declare that no distrust could keep your heart from stepping into the goodness of God, even in the midst of circumstances you do not right now understand. I declare over you, step into your identity as a favored daughter, as a one who's made for joy. I want you to know right now, there's no personality in this room that's not designed for joy. I just declare, even for this house, joy being married to the prophetic spirit that's here. And the invasion of the gospel now kind of redirecting prophecy. I declare in this place that gospel joy and victory being married to the strong prophetic anointing that's over this place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of... I declare over this house in Jesus' name. Um, I want to be able to show this again another time. But a little time right now. I, I declare... Um, junior high, middle school students being swept into the kingdom of heaven as a result of this house in Jesus' name. I declare that the ones that no one else wants, the ones that everyone else is impatient with, being the ones that find the risen Jesus in this place. A surprise harvest among junior highers and middle school students. Surprise! 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 This would be a house that would build for the future, not for the present. Oh, I love you. My time is up, but I just want to thank you and uh, for for letting me be with you guys. And I don't know how to how you guys close up service. I'm gonna welcome Pastor Joe back up and welcome from there. <laughs> Go ahead and be seated for a moment. Adam, thank you so much. That was a good meal. We can feast on that for a long time. Good stuff.